Today is Friday, June 2nd, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Christian persecution rages in India. Nigeria will have the latest on that and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, share it with a friend. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts. Quick Start Podcast. You write it down, Quick Start Podcast at cbn.org. Shoot us an email. Share your thoughts. Joining me now as we're getting through the news of the Cray each and every weekday morning, 7 a.m. Billy Hallowell. Trey is still on assignment. He's in chosen land. But uh, Billy, what's going on? Happy Friday. We've made it. He's doing some summer skiing today. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. Like the this week went so fast. It always and now does. We're here. It always does, and yeah, we're here, does. and we've got a lot to cover on the pod. A little bit of a theme with the persecution today, unfortunately, but it's it's definitely heating up. And you have a a shocking blasphemy story. Yeah, this one's kind of heartbreaking. It's a 22 year old who is being sentenced to death in Pakistan. We'll get into the details of his story and his fight to live. Now it's it's insane. Mm. Yeah, definitely prayers there. And David Curry of Global Christian Relief and Joel Veldkamp from International, uh, from Christian Solidarity International spoke with uh, Billy to talk about two nations that are really struggling with Christian persecution, India and Nigeria. So that's all coming up on the podcast today. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. A 14-year-old North Carolina a girl who was reportedly denied a kidney transplant because she wasn't vaccinated finally ended up getting a kidney. Yulia Hicks received a new kidney last week. Her family expressed gratitude for all the attention given to their situation from conservative and Christian media organizations. And they said, without the media attention, we would not have found our amazing live donor. We're now focusing our attention on Yulia's healing, getting the law, Yulia's law passed, and the lawsuit with Duke. This was according to a family statement. The Grammy-winning Christian singer has given his endorsement to a controversial Bible translation, Michael W. Smith. He's had a career over two decades, has a huge following. He offered his endorsement to the Passion Translation the version of the Bible, which was removed last year from Bible Gateway. And a proposed state constitutional amendment seeks to make abortion permanent in Ohio. Critics are calling it a direct attack on families that undermines parental rights. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Billy, this 14-year-old girl... We've talked a lot on this podcast about the overreach that happened in the early days of COVID with the shutdowns and then with the vaccine and the mandates that happened that a lot of people tried to fight against. They really put some some businesses and employees in very difficult situations where they were essentially forced to choose between their personal choice to not get the vaccine and their livelihood. And then situations like this where a 14-year-old girl's claiming that they were denied a kidney transplant because she wasn't vaccinated. And now we're starting to see these things turn around. First of all, just fantastic that she was able to get that kidney finally. That's awesome news. And continued prayers for her and her recovery. But 
it's troubling that we saw so much of this overreach out of fear during COVID. And and now we're starting to see, just like we did with some of these mandates, that now everyone's like walking it back, like, well, maybe we weren't supposed to do that. And the law is starting to favor those who allege that they had the freedom to not have to get this vaccine to continue their employment. So it seems like the pendulum might be swinging there a little bit. Yeah, I guess I guess what's so confusing to me, you know, a lot of people were were sold a lot of different proclamations about the vaccine that might not have ended up being exactly what people thought. Regardless of whether it's been helpful or not, I think it's helped a lot of people, most likely, um, in older categories. But a younger person or an older person getting a kidney or an organ, I don't understand why in the world there'd be a decline for that. Why you would say, oh, we're not going to... We're not gonna. We're not gonna give you this organ if you don't get this shot. You could test the person. You could see if they have COVID. If your argument is that you're afraid you're gonna get it from them, there are lots of ways around that. Right. To me, this is one of the most bizarre things. And actually, I think it's evil to withhold, yeah. you know, life saving treatment oh. and organs to people who need them. And it's done out of. It has to be done out of fear. What What other reason could you possibly give other than like you were saying you're afraid that they're gonna get it? And like you said, there's ways that you could get around that. Um, it's it just seemed like these were um, draconian responses to try to punish people for for not behaving in a way that a lot of people thought was the correct way, which now in retrospect turns out it you know it, it wasn't what they thought, as you said, for various reasons. You know the 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 vaccine uh, didn't necessarily stop the spread as was advertised. You could still have it and still pass it along, even if you were getting lesser symptoms or, you know, not, not getting it, but it's just, this, it's insane. It's insane. I, I, yeah. It's it, all it insane. And there's going to, I keep, ma- I keep saying this, that there's going to be documentaries made sooner than later when people are going to look back on this era from 2020 to 2022 ish, maybe a little longer. And you're like, what? We did what? <laughs> Well, I mean, and what about the stories we're not hearing? This is a story that we're hearing. There are people who did not share their story who have probably been quiet about it. I just, I cannot understand how smart people in a world that has apparently progressed far beyond our imagination would withhold a kidney from somebody over them not getting a vaccine. Well, and this is what the founders warned about. You know, when you, this is how you lose freedom it's fear is the biggest motivator for people to want to hand in their freedom card. They don't want to deal with any negative consequences. They, oh, I, don't, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want this thing running around, running roughshod over the country, this, this virus. So yes, do what you have to do. I don't care. Just do it. Just make me feel safe. And that's where you have to stand firm and hold the line on freedom. When it comes to our freedoms, once you start handing that in, it does not come back. If government's shown anything, over history, it's that once you give them a little bit of power, they will not relinquish that back. <laughs> Thankfully, in a lot of these cases, the courts have gone in the direction that towards freedom, and towards the ability for people to choose their own medical outcomes when they want. So crazy situation nonetheless. But again, glad that she did finally get that kidney and that it didn't end up tragic for her. So continued prayers there. But we are going to move into our next story here. And a Christian man in Pakistan has reportedly been sentenced to death under the nation's controversial blasphemy laws. Billy, what's going on here? 
Yeah, this is a heartbreaking story. The The man's name is Noman Masi. He's 22 years old, and he was apparently handed the death penalty by a court in Pakistan, and it has led to shock and lament from his attorney and his family, understandably. You know, problems began for him back on July 1st, 2019. So this has been a years-long battle now. He was apparently arrested then by police, just days after his cousin was also detained on a blasphemy charge. And it's a little unclear. His cousin has apparently been released on bail due to a technicality. He wasn't tried in a two-year period, and so they ended up releasing him on bail. I don't know where his case stands, but when it comes to Noman, Noman's case obviously has led to him being convicted and found guilty. And what has been so really horrific and shocking here. A, the fact that this can happen um, in any country in 2023. Um, But the fact that apparently, according to his father and and his attorney, these allegations are baseless. They're saying that his son, he's saying the father that his son was not guilty of showing blasphemous images of Muhammad. He was apparently accused of going into a local park at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, which seems kind of strange, and showing these pictures of um, the Islamic prophet Muhammad. And, um, you know, I guess they were pictures that were, again, blasphemous or mocking Muhammad. And uh, the father has spoken out and said, look, he, he's heartbroken. His wife is heartbroken. Uh, but one thing that I found really powerful is that he said, but our faith in Christ has not wavered, and we trust God that he will rescue us from this suffering. So uh, that that's the overview. Uh, this, this young man is going to lose his life. What a bizarre circumstance they're saying happened here that he went out into a park at 3.30 in the morning, like what, to show pictures? Like, hey, psst, buddy, look over here. Uh, it just seems very uh, not plausible. Obviously troubling, but what is the most troubling part that you found? Well, his attorney, and this is interesting, uh, the attorney is Lazar Raka. The attorney said, look, this is, the, the verdict was issued without any evidence, The lawyer is claiming that these blasphemy charges were not held up with any sort of evidence and expressed dismay over the fact that the death penalty would essentially be given um, for this. And and again, this is something we have to understand in Pakistan under Section 295C of the blasphemy laws, you can be given the death penalty there for mocking Muhammad. Uh, The attorney said, quote, I'm extremely disappointed by the conviction because there was absolutely no case There was no proof against Noman, and none of the witnesses produced by police could corroborate the blasphemy allegation against him. The attorney went on to say, this is murder of justice. And so I think that's the most shocking allegation, that there wasn't actually evidence to even back the claim. So if you were going to say, okay, the law says this, right, and then we have to do this, he feels there was not enough evidence there to even hold that up. Mm, Wow. Yeah, that is really troubling indeed. So (laughs) what is supposed to happen next here? So uh, the attorney is going to file an appeal. Now, there's apparently, though, another blasphemy charge that he was tried separately for, and we don't even know what that verdict is. That's supposed to be issued sometime this month. Um, But but appeals are going to be waged in this case, obviously. And, you know, we're just starting to hear about this. So we'll see what happens. A lot of times in these cases, international pressure is very helpful, right? Because Pakistan realizes, or or one of these countries, they'll realize the world is looking at us. They're seeing what is happening, and this doesn't look good. And so I think the appeal will very likely bring more attention to the case. I hope so. And um, look, this is, you can't help but look at a story like this, and it makes you wonder, what in the world? I mean, we complain about losing freedoms here, and those are legitimate complaints in a lot of cases, like we were just talking about with the vaccine. If you can't not get a vaccine 
and then maintain your job and things of that nature. I mean, those are very, very real threats, not minimizing those. But then you look at a place like Pakistan and you got something like this. I mean, what does that tell you about freedom around the globe? Yeah, I think it tells you that freedom, you know, really is in peril all the time. I mean, you have to fight for freedom. You don't just fight to get it. You have to fight to maintain it. And Mm -hmm. I think we often look at these countries and we think, oh, gosh, we will never be there. It could never happen here. And the reality is no country starts out where these countries are, right? Blasphemy laws are things that that come and they're allowed to happen. And so it's just a reminder of how fragile freedom is and how much we have to fight for it and also pray for those who don't have it. Yeah, well said. Well said, absolutely true. And we should be grateful for the amount of freedoms that we do have currently in America. And like you said, be vigilant, be constantly on guard to stand when you see any freedom being chipped away whether you agree with the activities surrounding that freedom or not, if you don't have that freedom, it just, it's like I said before, you give the government a little bit of control and they will not relinquish it. So, all right, appreciate you bringing that story and breaking it down, Billy. We are going to move over to the main thing now. And David Curry is the CEO of Global Christian Relief. And Joel Veldkamp is the head of international communications at Christian Solidarity International. And they talked with Billy to discuss two nations here where Christian persecution is really raging, and it has for some time now, but it's picked up. India and Nigeria. India is the largest democracy, and in the last decade, you've seen a 300% rise in attacks against Christians and Christian churches. And it's not much better in Nigeria. So Billy has that conversation with David and Joel on today's main thing. The situation in India has been capturing headlines, particularly on the persecution front. David, can you take us through what's been happening to Christians in India? You bet. Thanks. It's it's good to be with you. This is an important issue. Uh, the latest attack is in Manipur, India. There have been, I think, 1,700 Christian homes destroyed, over 100 churches burned to the ground. It started as a sort of a protest against uh, amongst tribal groups and somehow has now leaped over to an attack on churches and Christians because that's an acceptable narrative right now in India with the with the lead party, the BJP party, making Christians a, a very easy target. So there's been continued attacks. It's di- It died down, seemed to almost be dying down. Now I just got a report maybe 20 minutes ago, there's been increased attacks 45,000 Christians on the run out of their homes. Uh, it's a difficult situation. Joel, when you when you look at this and you compare it to what's happening in other places in the world, you know, you look at India, the size of the nation, the size of the Christian population. I mean, by numbers, it's, it's quite a number of people. It's a lot of people. What do you make of this and how would you compare it to some of the other um, acts of persecution we see around the globe? Well, it's a small percentage of the Indian population. Christians, uh, there's about 69, 65 million, somewhere in there. Uh, But it's a small percentage of the Indian population. What is common, however, is that you have extremist groups, whether they be Islamic or Hindu or even tribal groups around the world, use Christianity as sort of a, a target and an attack because it's a minority 
maybe because they don't want any other god to be worshipped. In this case, in India, there's a political element, a nationalistic element that says, you're not really an Indian citizen if, unless you're Hindu. Uh, they're using the politics uh, very cleverly in India. But the common theme is to target Christians as an outsider and make them seem as though they're not really a, a, a useful citizen within, within the population. Which is such a dangerous, you know, I mean, it, it, all of it is incredibly dangerous. Joel, I have to ask you, based on, on your perspective, when you look at, you know, what is happening there, a lot of times persecution comes in different forms, familial, culturally, sometimes it's all of the above. What are the types of persecution that we are seeing happening there? Is it just political? Is it deeper than that? In, in India, you mean, Billy? In India, yes. Yeah, I think I agree with Mr. Curry's assessment. This is largely a politically driven problem at the moment uh, because of the way India's domestic politics are functioning. And we see this in many countries in the world, and especially in Asia now, that um, the ruling political party has decided that it's opportune to try to rally support around a certain religious identity that usually excludes Christians. Um, and indeed, the situation in Manipur is a great example of how this works. I just talked to my colleague who got back from there last night, and he said, you know, this, as Mr. Curry said, this started as kind of a conflict between two different ethnic groups. But one of the ethnic groups has both Hindus and Christians among them. And as the riot progressed, as the violence progressed, Christians who belong to this ethnic group started having their churches burned down, too. So it starts as an ethnic thing and then it becomes a Christian versus Hindus thing. And when it's Christians versus Hindus, the Christians are going to lose. So it's, it's a very dangerous uh, development, but it's unfortunately understandable. It works to, to whip up hatred against um, identities that are not associated with the larger nation. Yeah, and and Joel, I'll ask you this, um, and then I want to hear from both of you on it. But but obviously, as Americans, you know, you're you're sort of watching these situations unfold. We have an incredibly different dynamic when it comes to religious freedom in this country compared to so many other countries. How should the U.S. and you could even talk about what's currently happening, if anything? Uh, but how should the Biden administration and the U.S. deal with this situation in India? Is there a role? And Joel, what should that role be? I'm going to defer to Mr. Curry on this one, actually. I yeah, thank you, Joel. Uh, I, I think the Biden administration has a imp very important role. There's going to be a summit between President Biden and Prime Minister Modi. I know that the State Department, the Secretary of State, has discussed with the foreign ministry these kinds of issues. This has to be a focal point because this is a democracy in India, they need to step forward. If they want to be part of the international community, I think they're a major player. People love the culture. They love the people. There's a strong relationship. But you can't have these kinds of massive human rights violations go unaccounted for. The BJP party, in the midst of this, where you have 45,000 people fleeing, backed the party, the group that was doing the writing and the attacking. So they're sending all kinds of signals here that say it's it's okay. We're going to look the other way. As I've said before, uh, Billy, on your program, the writers are have been posting on social media. They're promoting this. They're not embarrassed about it. Uh, and in response, they don't 
the the prime uh, the uh, prime minister's party, the BJP party, isn't shutting down. They're shutting down social media for sure, so that it can't be seen by the outside world now. But they're not going after the rioters. So this there needs to be consistency, and the Biden administration can hold them to account on this. We have lots of important relationships with India, and I think it can be a strong relationship, but not if they allow human rights abuses of this kind. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable in, in 2023, the things that are going on around the world. I mean, you you look at the reports, and I want to talk about one more country um, in a minute here, Nigeria. But before we get there, you know, both of you have a very good broad scope on what is happening right now when it comes to persecution. What is the 30,000 foot view? Is it improving? Is it worsening? And Joel, I'll start with you. And then I want to hear from you, David. But but what is your take? If somebody comes and says, hey, tell me what is happening with persecution. Are things getting better or worse? What's your response to them? Things are definitely getting worse uh, across the board. And unfortunately, I think it's linked to bigger geopolitical trends around the world. Whereas in the 1990s and the early 2000s, we almost had kind of a honeymoon between the US and Russia and China. And everyone kind of agreed that cooperation between the big powers is the way forward. Now we're really back at kind of a Cold War scenario where all the big powers are trying to take each other down. And so we're seeing this competition play out, not in Russia, not in the US, not in China, but in small countries like Nigeria, like Syria, Armenia, um, India, maybe, I hope not, but we'll see. And when you have this competition between the great powers and the lack of cooperation, you start to see a lot more wars, a lot more political instability, and that creates the conditions for persecution, for persecutors to come out of the woodwork and implement the programs that they've been cooking up behind closed doors. Um, so it's extremely, all the indicators are, are red, I would say right now. Would you agree with that, David? Well, I, I agree. I think there, the larger geopolitical trends are important in this because dictators and administrations do use minorities as targets and as wedge issues. Here's another factor. I think with the proliferation of social media, people are in echo chambers. So you see in all parts of society where where people are going farther and farther down their particular rabbit holes and my Christian minorities, but other minorities in other settings as well are, are easy targets. And so that could be a factor. The other factor is a spiritual one. And that is when you make a statement, I'll have no other gods before me, that, that Jesus is the way. There is a spiritual issue here where people take offense to it. They want to, uh, you know, uh, sort of segment Christians to the side. I don't think it has to be that way. But the reality is that Christians have been persecuted, will be continue to be persecuted. Uh, Jesus was persecuted, obviously. So that's part of the theme, a spiritual theme, I think, that we have to recognize. It doesn't mean that we don't speak out, that we don't advocate, we don't help. We're told to do that in Scripture. But I think we have to recognize if you're if you're with Jesus, you may be targeted. All right. Appreciate that conversation there. And that's going to leave us with time here for one last thing. We're going to take a look here at Matthew 5, 15 and 16. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And I just like this reminder, Billy, as we're hearing about all this persecution, we see certain kinds of persecution here in America as well. 
a reminder that this is an opportunity for us to point people to God in the midst of it. Yeah, and I think even seeing that father say that no matter what, you know, they're still clinging to their yeah. faith in Christ, that that is letting your light shine in the most difficult moments. And, and I love the verse, and I love getting to see those examples of people living it out. Absolutely. And one other thing that I love, it's Friday. The weekend is here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, it's only 7 in the morning-ish when you're listening to this. But still, still, the weekend's right there for you. So God bless. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We shall see you back here on Monday. Take care.